Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. I want to read from verse 19 to 34, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're in the middle of a series titled Your Kingdom Come. And the first Sunday I preached on the purpose of the kingdom is to bring heaven to earth. Wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign in our lives. And wherever God's will and purpose is in full effect, wherever we come under his lordship, that's where the kingdom is. And so wherever you go, you carry the kingdom with you. Last week we talked about the pathway to the kingdom is a pathway that recognizes our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A lot of Christians been attending church, but not necessarily understood the truth, the principle, the power of the kingdom of God. There's a kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. We've been singing about it today. When Jesus came, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Sometimes we find ourselves preaching a gospel that is different to the gospel Jesus preached, but only signs and wonders will accompany the gospel Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom. And so this series is all about your kingdom come. I'm believing 2021, we're going to see full expression, manifestation, the kingdom of God in our hearts, our lives, our church. You're a part of that. We're a part of that. And so today I want to talk about the priority of the kingdom. We've looked at the purpose, the pathway. Now what is the priority of the kingdom of God? And Siri has just come up because I said something that um, Siri likes. No, go away in Jesus' name. Come out, you foul spirit. Okay, um, let's read this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Why don't we just say that together? Those three words, do, or four words, do not be anxious. Let's say them together. One, two, three. Do not be anxious. Say it again. Do not be anxious. No matter what the media reports say, do not be anxious. No matter what the doctor says, do not be anxious. No matter what your boss says, do not be anxious. No matter what is going on around you, do not be anxious. God's trying to get a message through to us today. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about what, Jesus? About your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 2020 has seen a dramatic increase in... uh, people calling out for help uh, because of mental health issues. And uh, many people have been impacted by uh, all of the dynamics around uh, the COVID pandemic. And apart from the climate of fear that unfortunately some media has created, many people's livelihoods have been under threat. And uh, even in our own congregation, many people have really struggled. Uh, with the whole economic impact upon their lives and their families. And so a very real and natural feeling that's associated with a season like this is anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion that's characterised by feelings of worry and nervousness and unease, particularly when it comes to an uncertain future. Uh, Beyond 2020, just the normal stats in Australia, particularly uh, over the last few years, tell us that 45% of people, nearly 50% of people will suffer from a mental health disorder at least once in their life. And the stats also tell us that over 14% of the population, one in seven, uh, will suffer from an anxiety disorder on an ongoing basis. And over 2.3 million people each year suffer an anxiety attack annually. Over 50% recent research tells tells us of millennials, over 50% of millennials stress daily over work and money that keeps them up at night and one in five millennials, that is those born between 1981-1996, clinically depressed and need some sort of intervention. And so the question has got to be asked with all of our advances in science and technology and education that's supposed to alleviate stress, that's supposed to help us in our everyday life, why is anxiety still on the increase? Well, in the context of what Jesus is teaching in this passage, he says that anxiety is the byproduct of prioritizing the temporal over the eternal. Anxiety is the byproduct of prioritizing something other than the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Don't be anxious. And he connects anxiety to what shall we eat, drink, wear, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Those three things, eat, drink, and clothing, is not uh, prescriptive, it's descriptive of a bigger issue. Being fixated and prioritizing upon things that at the end of the day don't factor in eternity. And much of our culture's preoccupation with busyness is often associated with the pursuit of more. J.D. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough money? He said, just a little bit more. And we can get caught in this perpetual mode of 
worrisome busyness because we're trying to keep up, we're trying to pursue more, we're trying to prioritize those things that aren't of kingdom eternal importance. And in the process, we become anesthetized to the real condition of our own hearts. And many people live in a perpetual mode of worrisome busyness and a bubble of anxiety because they don't want to face up to the real issues of their own heart, the void that is there because of a lack of relationship with God. And one of the reasons why the COVID lockdown has actually seen mental health stats skyrocket is because many of us have been forced into this season of of this bubble of isolation. We've been forced with our own mortality, questions around our own meaning of life and what does my future look like and where is the future of the world going And in that vulnerable place, anxiety, worry, and all sorts of other vices begin to cripple us and actually force us to uh, face up to some things that we wouldn't normally face. In fact, the word worry comes from an old German word to strangle or choke. And what worry does in your life is it strangles faith, it strangles hope, And, and, and wherever Uh, fear comes in, faith has to go somewhere because fear and faith cannot coexist. You can't be full of faith and full of fear. One forces the other out. And so we live uh, with these tensions at times in our life because of the external stuff that's happening around us. And if we don't nip fear and worry in the bud, what happens is worry is like this thin stream of fear that slowly erodes our faith and our hope. And if we facilitate it, if we meditate upon it, if we focus and dwell upon it, it becomes a river of anxiety that becomes our default response to life. In fact, the Bible tells us that worry is sin because it actually distracts us from the character of God to protect us and to provide for our every need. Are you distracted today? from God's goodness to protect you and to provide for you in your life? Because we can attend church and, and call ourselves believers, but operate as, as unbelievers with our response to life. Can I encourage you, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, that you can expect that God, your Father, will provide for you, will protect you. It doesn't mean that you don't exercise wisdom and good common sense, but it does mean that you can live free of fear, anxiety, and worry. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And whatever you meditate upon, whatever you dwell upon, whatever you think about, will actually become the default response of your life. And, 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 and where some of us are gripped by fear, worry, and anxiety, is because we spend so much time meditating upon the uncertainty of everything that's been shaken around us, we've got to come back and bring our focus on what is unshakable. The Bible says you've received a kingdom that is unshakable. And so when everything around us is being shaken, the one thing that will not be shaken is the strength of the kingdom of God. And what anxiety is, it's a default byproduct of living as though God doesn't know what we need. And so therefore, we've got to take matters into our own hands. 
God is never at a loss for how to resolve a problem or an issue in your life. He's never scratching his head in heaven going, let's just call the angel with the broken wing because I don't know how we're going to ever resolve this issue in this person's life. When that doctor's report comes, when that boss comes knocking on the door, when something happens, God is not at a lack or at a loss for how to deal with that scenario. God's not up in heaven right now going, I just don't know what to do with all the issues that the globe is facing. He is eternal. Before we were, He was. After we're gone, He still will be. And, and he, if Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God, then you need to understand that Jesus and, and the kingdom operates from a place of victory, not trying to get victory. And when you understand that, it changes your approach to life. The antidote for the stress that's associated with the pursuit of more is to actually prioritise the Lordship of Jesus at the centre of your life. That's why Jesus said in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. What Jesus was actually doing was unpacking the third beatitude and the beatitude that we looked at over the last uh, few weeks, the third beatitude is blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so verses 19 to 34 is an unpacking of what it looks like to inherit the earth. Jesus is trying to tell us that for citizens in the kingdom, for sons and daughters of the Father of the kingdom of God, you are the ones, as we walk in meekness, we are the ones who inherit the earth. Why? Because we're seeking first the kingdom of our God, not the kingdom of ourselves. And so God is trying to teach us that we are inheritors of everything that God has created in this earth and all the resources within it to do what we need to do to meet all of our needs as we live life from a kingdom perspective. Seeking first the kingdom of God is about a total realignment of your life under the Lordship of Jesus. And that's why Jesus came preaching in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can't access this kingdom if you don't have a paradigm shift, if you don't reorientate your thinking around that we are absolutely spiritually bankrupt apart from God and that apart from God we can do nothing. And so it's only as we come into a place of humility and a poverty of spirit do we understand our need for a saviour. And as we turn away from ourselves being as Lord and Jesus being Lord of our life, then and only then can the kingdom of God be accessible to us. Unfortunately, Western culture does not help us in our pursuit of the kingdom because Western culture's approach to life is influenced by Greek philosophy, which essentially uh, promotes this idea that life is compartmentalized into different categories. And so we as believers often buy into this line of thinking where our faith in God is in a private compartment of our life and separate from our work, separate from our finance, separate from our health, fitness, social life. And so we tend to segment or compartmentalize our life as we know it. But a Hebrew uh, approach to life actually prioritizes faith in God, the center of our lives, where everything else revolves around our love for Jesus and our faith in God. 
And, and this is what, when Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He didn't say, love the Lord your God with only part of your heart, part of your soul, part of your strength. He's talking about mind, body, spirit. He's fully immersed, he's saturated with the truth, the principle, the power, and the presence of the kingdom of God, and that our lives are centered in the kingdom of God and the presence of the kingdom is centered in our lives and everything else comes into alignment with the truth of the kingdom that lives inside of us. Is this helping anyone today? And so how we handle money, how we steward our sexuality, how we make decisions for our future, how we manage our diaries is all determined by the Lordship of Jesus, not by how I feel on any given day. Because how many of us know some days you wake up and it's not good morning, Lord, it's good Lord, it's morning, and you don't always feel like it's a party and let's party like it's 1999. You don't always feel like that. You, 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 you feel sometimes uh, tired and weary and flat and not very motivated and then the news comes on and you feel even more deflated and, and all of these things impact us but when you live in the kingdom, when you have, and the Bible says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, meaning temporal things, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When you understand that you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ of what he's done on the cross for you, that you can have the peace of God in your heart and that you can have joy unspeakable, full of glory that is beyond any circumstance, it changes how you approach your life. Do you make decisions based upon the Lordship of Jesus or on how you feel on any given day? Is the kingdom of God simply a 90-minute event on Sunday or the compass by which you approach your life? Really important. This, this gathering, this live gathering is so important. I'm so um, grateful to God that you and all of us have seen the importance and significance of gathering together. The Bible says don't forsake it. Don't forsake the assembling together. It's so important we prioritize this. But how many of us know this is just one expression of the kingdom of God in our lives? It's not the totality of the expression of the kingdom. The kingdom of God doesn't just clock on 11 o'clock and, and finish around 90 minutes after that. The kingdom of God is something we live 24-7. And our family, we've tried to raise our family as um, husband and wife, mum and dad. We've tried to raise our family in understanding that the kingdom of God is not an entree event on Sunday morning, but is the main meal every day of the week. The kingdom of God isn't something that we do in one part of our life. The kingdom of God is who we are. It's what we do every day of our life. It's 24-7. That's why one of the things I really wrestle with and struggle with is just not understanding how as a Christian and a believer, someone can just sort of clock on and clock off when it comes to their relationship with God. Once you got saved, you clock on. You never clock off. And I'm not saying that, there's, that everyone should just be in the church building 24-7. I'm saying you are the church. We are the church. Everywhere we go, we are the church. We take the kingdom of God with us. And we're to seek first the kingdom of God and prioritize the lordship of Jesus in every single area of our life. It's the difference between being a fan or a follower of Jesus. A fan just shows up when their team's winning and everything's going well. A follower shows up because they're totally committed 24-7 to what it is that they are following and devoted to. And the same is in our relationship with God. Jesus actually modeled this in the Garden of Gethsemane. I find it amazing that Jesus has all power and authority given to him and yet he was totally yoked and submitted to the lordship of his father. 
He said, not my will, but your will be done. The son can do nothing of his own authority, but only what he sees the father doing. Even Jesus in that moment, knowing that he was living under the shadow of the cross, that suffering was coming his way and didn't want to suffer. No one wakes up and says, today's a good day to be crucified. No one does that. No one wakes up and says, God, I just really wanna suffer today. Can you please bring suffering into my life? If you're praying that, we need to pray for you, right? No one's praying that. No one, Jesus being fully and properly God, but also fully and properly man, his flesh, the Bible says, he was sweating. His sweat was like drops of blood. That's high stress. Can we all agree? That's high stress, right? He's under the weight of the shadow of the cross and not just dying a physical death, but taking upon the sin of all human history upon himself. Hello, somebody. This is not the sort of shadow and weight that you wanna carry. And yet Jesus understood the greater good was to actually align his life with the truth of the kingdom and what the Father wanted for him. And you and I now are reconciled back to God because who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in victory. And for every single believer in this room, you are now seated in heavenly places with him because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. There is a big difference between God being a resident in the room of your heart and being the president of your entire life. If he is only resident right now in the room of your heart, he needs to become the commander in chief. And we like this idea of Jesus as saviour, save me from my problems, save me from my issues and troubles, but we don't always like the idea of Jesus as Lord. Lord of my life and yet he is Lord and this is what sent Jesus to the cross. It wasn't just because the Pharisees were jealous of him and the scribes and religious authorities were jealous of his following. It's because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which meant if, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then the Pharisees aren't Lord. Jesus being Lord and King of Kings of this kingdom means that we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of light. And we need to get God's perspective on how to live our lives and what the value system is. And let me tell you, when you begin to live in alignment with the kingdom of God, not only is there blessing and favour and all sorts of good things, but also you need to be prepared for the spiritual warfare that comes in the clash of the kingdoms because you've drawn a line in the sand and you've said, I'm not going to serve the kingdom of self or the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world, but I'm going to serve God. He is my Lord. He is my Saviour. And what He He says, goes, and whilst there's so much blessing and protection with that, you also, Jesus said, need to count the cost of what that means because it means something, requires something from you because to seek the kingdom first, to place something first means it must be the most important in time, value and priority. Also, seeking the kingdom of God first means and implies that you're absorbed in the search for it. One of the parables of the kingdom, Matthew 13, 45, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Many of us over this Christmas season know 
the experience of searching for something online for someone or maybe at the shops, maybe uh, you've saved up for something significant in your life, a house, a car, a holiday, and you've purchased it, you've bought it, you've experienced it, and you know the joy and the satisfaction, the delight in that search. Uh, Well, multiply that by a billion billion and you won't even come close to the value, the priceless treasure that the kingdom of God is and a life spent searching for the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, what happens in life is a lot of Christians get saved and get stuck living in the doorway of the mansion of the kingdom of God rather than exploring all the rooms of the house that is available to us. Getting saved doesn't mean that you've discovered everything about the kingdom of God. It simply means that it's significant. You've now passed from death to life. You're no longer an old, uh, old nature. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But now you need to learn about the kingdom of God. Now you need to learn about life in the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, what following Jesus actually looks like because following Jesus is not boring Being a believer is so far from boring. It's the greatest adventure you'll ever have in your life. I used to struggle. You know, my parents were ministers, pastors, and I never wanted to be in ministry, uh, preach the gospel. Basically, anything I'm doing today, I didn't want to do, right? Because I looked at that and thought, you know, that's great for them. They're doing that, but that's not for me. And yet I've discovered that following Jesus is like being a kite in his hurricane. I mean, literally, it's an adventure. And I've seen things, experienced things, blessed, had blessing of God upon my life, had some troubles and challenges and tribulations as well. But all of it has been an amazing adventure because when you get saved, that's just the beginning of the adventure. Life in the kingdom doesn't begin and end in the doorway of the mansion of the kingdom. God wants you and he's inviting you to explore the living room of fellowship, the dining room of feasting upon his word, that bedroom of rest and refreshment. God wants you to live in the fullness of the abundance of life in the kingdom that he has come to give you. You see, I believe that our fruitfulness this year will be determined more by our hunger and thirst for the kingdom of God than the list of goals that we've got in our journals. Goals are good. But I've just learned, give up your little goals and come and change the world and follow Jesus in the kingdom of God. Because Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. The measure of your hunger determines the measure of your filling. If there is little appetite, little hunger for the kingdom of God, there's little expression of it in your life. There's little filling of his power in your life. And unfortunately, one of the byproducts of Western materialism with all of its blessings There are some unfortunate disadvantages and one of that is a decreased appetite for God. That's why one of the greatest gifts of someone who lives in a prosperous country is to recognise our own poverty of spirit. And there are people that live in affluence who don't realise they are blind, pitiable, poor and naked in the spirit. And that they may be first in this lifetime, but last in the next. Because it's the, the value system of the kingdom of God is not the value system of this world. Thank God that there is 
principles and patterns for living in blessing and prosperity and favor and all those good things. But at the end of the day, it's about recognizing that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and we need desperately a Saviour and a Lord and we've been created and designed for relationship and we can try and prop ourselves up with all sorts of pursuits in life, but at the end of the day, still find ourselves with a poverty of spirit that we cannot resolve in our own strength. That's why Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and then all these other things will be added to you. You see, for some people, God is one of many options on the menu of life. It's like, no, I don't feel like God today. What's another option on the menu? We sort of treat God and treat church and treat faith like it's one option. But can I tell you today, the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not an optional extra. It is the menu. It's the main course. It's the entree. It's dessert. It's morning and afternoon tea. It's everything. It's the feast that we're gonna celebrate at the end of the age and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The kingdom of God is worth selling everything for so that you can pursue it. Why? Because it's priceless. It's of eternal value. And Jesus promises in his Sermon on the Mount that if you ask for the kingdom, you'll receive it. If you seek after it, you'll find it. If you knock on the door of the kingdom, it will be opened to you. God is not a man that he should lie. If there is a lack of manifestation or expression of the kingdom in our lives, it's because there's a lack of appetite. And one of the things I'm praying for, for you, for us, for myself, as a church this year, is that we would have an appetite for the kingdom of God. We would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and for the kingdom of God like we never had before because that will ultimately determine what God does through our lives this year. You see, you have as much of God today as you wanted Him yesterday. Are we gonna go through 2021 business as usual or are we gonna position ourselves and say, God, I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. I've got an appetite for you, oh God. I want to know a new dimension, <coughs> excuse me, a new dimension, a new facet of who you are and, and what you do and what you're teaching me. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 42:1, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, oh God. You know, we find ourselves in a time of year where we're making New Year's resolutions. And some of us have abandoned the idea of resolutions because we made a goal to lose 10 kilos and every year for the last 10 years we made that goal and we've lost you know, 42,000 pounds and we put it all back on again and so resolutions are dumb in Jesus' name. So let's find another goal, another solution. And New Year's resolutions and goals for your life aren't a bad thing. Um, uh, God, the whole idea of faith and vision uh, it brings within and encompasses this idea of goals. Um, but what if we were to invest the same time, energy and resource that we would into resolutions into seeking first the kingdom of God and allow God to add all these other things? I remember the first 10 years of my ministry, I read like 500 books and I'm reading all these books, 50 books a year. I'm reading like, you know, this principle of this author and this technique and this. And I'm trying to do all these things. I'm more confused than a termite and a yo-yo because I'm trying to do all of these things. Whereas the book above every other book, the Word of Life just said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things that we're trying to add in our own strength, they actually get added to you. I mean, it's like a win-win scenario. 
You get to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus and he actually looks after you in this lifetime. For so many people are trying to secure for themselves and living in a bubble of anxiety because they're trying, they think that God, their father, is not going to look after them. But I want to encourage you this year, just pursue the kingdom of God. Just seek first the kingdom of God, His rule and reign in your life. Follow His Lordship. He'll do more with you in the twinkle of His eyeball in a moment than you could do in a lifetime. That's why when Jesus said, if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. When your eye is bad, your body will be filled with darkness. He's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual focus. Because whatever you focus on aligns your life. You, be, you become what you behold. In fact, in Jewish culture, when someone would say, your eye is good, that would actually mean that you had a generous outlook on life. You had a generous spirit. And the most generous people I know are people that have a kingdom focus, a kingdom outlook because they're free of trying to get for themselves. They are able to be a blessing to others and to scatter and be generous to the kingdom of God and to people around about them because they trust that God their Father will add all these other things to them as they seek first the kingdom of God. If you've ever looked through binoculars, you'll know that when you focus on one thing, everything else must fade into peripheral view. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, there is no paradigm for the kingdom of God being on the periphery edges of your life and paying attention to it only once a week or once in a blue moon when things go pear-shaped. The kingdom of God is supposed to be at the centre of our hearts, the centre of our focus, the centre of our lives. It bleeds into every aspect of our life and as it becomes all-encompassing and overwhelming into every area of our life, then God says, I'll take care of all the things that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the people of this world pursue and seek after and are anxious about and are worried about, but I want to take care of that for you. So when the kingdom of God is at the centre of life, every area of life aligns to it. And if you're going to align your life with the kingdom of God this year, it's going to require you to approach life from God's perspective and not yours. And that's why when Jesus says in verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He wasn't saying that you can't own a house or drive a car. He wasn't saying those things. He was talking about what's your priority? Where's your value system at? Don't live a life that is aligned with the values of this world. Live a life that's aligned with the values of the kingdom. Steward things, use things, but love God and love people. We live in a culture that loves things and loves material things possessions, but uses people to satisfy their own good. But when you love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and you love people as you love yourself with a healthy identity in Christ, all of a sudden the material things of this world, the temporal things of this world come into right alignment in your life. And nowhere is alignment with the kingdom of God better seen than in how you handle material things. In fact, it's a litmus test of your spirituality. Jesus points out, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest materially, where you invest financially is an indicator of what truly is important to you. 
This came home to us several years ago. Uh, my wife and I, a family, we were renting a beautiful house, eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Owner let us know that they were moving back from overseas in a few months and we needed to get out of the house and we were a bit annoyed by that. We loved that house, but we were sort of paying uh, through the nose rent and, and we, we needed to save some money to buy a house. And so I'm jogging down the road one day and I'm praying to God and I said, God, what should we do? And he said, I want you to downsize to upsize. And I said, I don't like the idea of that. I want to upsize to upsize. Is anyone else with me in the room? I don't want to downsize to upsize. We don't want to go backwards. We've experienced certain, you know, lifestyle and all that sort of thing. And, and so God apparently wasn't changing his mind. And so God and I are at a Mexican standoff for the next three months. And I'm trying to create all of these scenarios. Have you ever done this? Don't look at me so holy. I can't see you with your mask on. But have you ever done this where you try to create create your scenarios, your open doors, trying to make things happen. All these bizarre events started to close door after door after door. Apparently, God wasn't changing his mind about downsize to upsize. And one of my mentors, Dr. Alan Myers, said, I think you should actually go and live in an old Bible college dormitory for 12 months with your family, save money really quickly to buy a house. I said, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I went to Bible college once. I'm not going back again. And, and apparently Jesus said, you're going back to Bible college. And so we moved our family in, not just for one year, but for two years. And at the time I was like so annoyed. But you know what? During those two years, God totally reorientated our whole worldview, our life, our ministry. God opened up the nations to us in our ministry. Everything we're walking in today, the blessing of God upon our life, giving us two properties that I never could have secured with my plan that God blessed us with, came out of coming under the lordship and authority of Jesus and saying, you know what? I don't like this downsized upsize, but it works. It works when you follow the Lordship of Jesus. If I had persisted in my plan, it would only lead to anxiety, but obedience to God's plan leads to blessing. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and He adds no sorrow with it. And when you prioritise the Kingdom of God, the provision of God is accompanied by peace. No longer is there stress and a striving there's a peace of God that passes all understanding because you know all these things will be added to me. You see, the only peace that the world offers is temporal based upon your circumstances, based upon you and I securing in our own strength what we want. But the peace that God gives us in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So if we're gonna prioritise the kingdom of God, if we're gonna have peace that passes all understanding, the application, the practicality that we need to take away from this message today is we need to remove any clutter of this earth that is separating us and God. We need to identify it. We need to remove it. We need to ask ourselves the question, what is taking my time, affection, energy, attention away from the kingdom of God that is causing a gap, a distance between God and my own soul. I believe this is a really important time of year to do a stock take on our soul. And over the last week, we've been on holidays and I've just been journaling in prayer, Lord, what, what are those things that you 
actually want me to declutter in my soul, in my mind, in my time, in my focus. I don't want to go into a new year with my soul cluttered. I don't want to, before you add something to your life, ask God to identify something you need to remove. You can't just keep adding to the plate of life and expect you're gonna live, you know, stress-free. Stress is a part of living on this fallen planet, but don't add to it by cluttering your life up with stuff that clouds the kingdom of God from your sight and your vision. A mother walked into a kitchen, uh, her kitchen only to find her son with his hand stuck in the cookie jar. And the kid's complaining, mum, I can't get my hand out. And mum's like, well, let go of the cookie and you can get your hand out. You got your hand in there, you can get your hand out if you let go of the cookie. The kid didn't want to let go of the cookie because he wants a cookie. But as long as he's holding on to the cookie, he can't get free of the cookie jar. And a lot of people are stuck in the jar of anxiety in life because they refuse to let go of temporal things to pursue eternal things. So if you find yourself in that place of wrestling with worry, anxiety, nervousness, could it be that you've started to prioritize some things that Jesus never intended for you? And he says to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with this world, with your efforts. Take my yoke upon me. In order to take on Jesus' yoke, you have to let go of the yoke of this world. You can't carry your yoke and his yoke. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You have to let go of the cookie in the cookie jar to get free. And so my encouragement to all of us this year is to bring the kingdom of God into the center of our lives and everything else will come into alignment. In your family, your finances, in your work, dethrone anything that actually pushes the kingdom of God to the periphery edges of your life. Be ruthless with it. You know that passage that says, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I met a guy once who, who took that verse literally. It wasn't pretty sight, right? Serious. That's not what it means. Jesus is not saying pluck your eye out, cut your hand off. He's talking about cut off anything of a spiritual sense that will take you away from the kingdom of God. Anything that would cause you to actually live life separated from God on your terms as you, the King and the Lord of your life. Dethrone it, cut it off. Why? Because it cuts off the power of the kingdom from your life. You want more of the kingdom expression, more of the kingdom power in your life? You're gonna have to seek it first. And to seek it first, you're gonna have to say no to some other things. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. The cutting process is worth it. Because even Jesus was telling me even this week about how 2020 has been a year of pruning. He says, I never cut, I never prune without promising fruitfulness that's coming to you. You know what I've learned? In life, you're either gonna get cut because you don't produce fruit or cut because you do. Let's get cut because we're producing fruit. Let's allow the pruning of heaven to come so that we can actually produce the fruit that God has for us. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says it like this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. I like the African proverb version of that passage, he who tries to go in two directions at the same time will split his pants. Yeah. 
Have you ever tried to go in two directions at the same time? Pretty soon you work out this isn't going to work. And yet a lot of people are trying to follow themselves and follow Jesus at the same time. No, just cut that off. Go all in on the kingdom of God this year. Just go all in. Just go all in. Just say, God, in every area of my life, I don't care. I'm sick of wasting time. I'm sick of this anxiety. I'm sick of this worry. I'm sick of all this doubt and fear. I'm going all in. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm crossing over and this is how I'm gonna live my life. And when you make that single-minded decision, everything else comes into alignment. All these things will be added to you. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.